at this uh, and looking at this today. Uh, this passage, we're going to divide. Uh, uh, let me say this real quick. We won't be looking. We won't be able to look at every single verse with every single thing because Psalm 18 verses 4 to 50. That's pretty long. There's a lot of description. Okay, but today I want to what want to drive towards is our responsibility during trials. Okay, I like how the observation you guys mentioned earlier. This is uh, the life of David, almost autobiographical of all the trials. He's looking back. And just what Jin and Mr. Burton pointed out too, right? It's amazing the description how strong and powerful God is and how unique also God is in His response, okay? So in light of this, I really want to uh, grip uh, towards our hearts, towards three responsibilities. That even when we're suffering, I remember last week we looked at uh, only the first four verse, I count the Hebrew verse 1, which is a subscript also, and how we saw there's five reasons to love God. Now, we're going to see three responsibilities we have to have, even though we go through trials in our life, so you can continue to have hope and live your life for God, okay? So these are three responsibilities, okay? Point number one is this, you are to remember God's deliverance, okay? First responsibility is you're to remember God's what? Deliverance. That's in verses 4 to 19, okay? 4 to 19. Then the second part is you to be loyal to God. That's in verses 20 to 29, okay? 20 to 29, you are to be loyal to who? To God, okay? And that you are to believe God's kingdom will be victorious? Yeah, the third part is you are to believe God's kingdom will be victorious. So these three things are our responsibility. uh, That even when we're going through suffering, we need to remember a... That God delivers. You have to recall the time that God worked in your life. Number two, even when you're going through things, you need to remember you still have a responsibility to be what? Loyal to God. Sometimes we could think, oh, we're going through so much, God will understand. I don't need to follow Him. I don't need to do anything. No, spiritual discipline, which is actually God's ordinary means of what? Grace, okay? And sometimes we forget the big picture of eternity, and we forget that God's kingdom will one day be victorious. So introductory matters again. This is a long psalm. We won't be able to look at every detail. It's a praise of God's deliverance from David's enemies, okay? Uh, like I said earlier, the psalm also appeared in 2 Samuel 22. This psalm's double appearance in the Word of God shows its importance for God's people. And David might have edited it so it could be sung in a temple worship, okay? Let's go to point number one. You are to remember God's deliverance. This is in verses 4 to 19, okay? In opening up this section, and we must remember God's deliverance, the first part it sets up is it describes the trial of David in verses 4 to 5, okay? 4 to 5. Uh, Nancy, you were using NKJV. Uh, could you read verse 4 again? I'm just wondering how verse 4, I think your version, stated a little different than ASB. Okay, it says the things of death. The pangs of death. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, so literally, it's the cords of death. By the way, in verse 5 in NKJV, does it say cords of Sheol? I'm just curious. Sorrows of Sheol? Okay, interesting. Is it okay. 5? Yeah, verse 5, yeah. Okay, so here the cords of death. Okay, I think it shows the idea that he's like, you think about something, a rope around your what? Neck. And you're cut from what? Breathing. So he's describing a situation that was life risking. In fact, the word death and cords appear twice in these two verses, okay? Also, in our version, it says, The torrents of ungodliness terrified me, right? Um, the torrents of ungodliness is actually literally the floods of, I can't pronounce this word, Belial, okay? B E L I A L. Anyone knows 
What is Belalio? Or who it is? Is that a devil? Yeah. It is Denial? a... Yeah. I think he showed up in a comic book. Oh, okay. I, bet, I was reading about him and then like, oh, like, this priest, like, hey, let's make a deal. And then Belial says, okay, let's make a deal. Okay. Like, oh, yeah. So let's not get our theology from comic books, but yeah, it is a demonic character, okay? Yeah, uh, um, the other thing about Courts of Death and the Courts of Yeshua, mm-hmm. all that showed up in my Bible. Yeah, good, okay. Uh, so it shows up there, right? And here it shows, I think, what's interesting when it says, uh, in our English Bible, it, most of our version says, the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. It's literally, it's a flooding of demon, or, or, uh, or the, the Belial is singular, but I think it's showing that there's all these agents of this demon coming to what? Harass him. Coming to the point like a flood, almost what? Flooding and drowning and even killing him, okay? So it's a picture of one where he's being overwhelmed all around him. That everywhere around him there is what? Enemies. Even in the demonic spiritual realm, okay? So it's more than just physical realm. It is also a demonic spiritual realm. There are beings that are also going against him, okay? So this uh, this phrase, Bilal, also appears in 1 Samuel 25 in the Hebrew. Um, this is where David... Uh, by the way, reading in Psalm 18, I think one of the things that I was really blown away with, that I was blessed with reading commentaries, is how many references of these words were colored. Uh, you appreciate it more when you see that David's life in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel it describes the trials he goes through, and the same nouns and verbs are being used to describe what it is that he's gone through, okay? So here is a son of Bilal, okay? Uh, and in that context, in First Samuel 25, that phrase is actually to uh, referring to Nabal. Do you guys mm-hmm. remember Nabal? Mm-hmm. Do you guys remember of Nabal? He's a proud, very interesting. Yeah, okay, do you guys remember that? David, was he seen as a king during this time period? Yeah. No, not at this time period. So he was not yet king. King Saul was in power. And he was basically a fugitive, basically hiding. Okay, but then God says that David will be the next king. But this man, by the way, you guys know what his name means? Fool. Fool. Yes. Okay. He was foolish. Did he decide to mock this man named David? Now, question: When someone's armed and dangerous, do you really want to mock them? Probably not. Even if they're not good, right? Whatever. So this guy did, and and uh, seen here, his wife Abigail says, "Hey." Same to her, her servant. And you know what? Our husband, my husband, is real like a son of Bilal. He's doing things that are what? Mm. Not right and demonic. Because I think she probably understood that this is the one that God has picked to be the next king. He has not been king yet. But whatever God's word says, the promise will it happen or not. It will happen. Does that make sense? It will happen. Okay? So you get the image here that there were a lot of overwhelming opposition against David. So that's the description in verses 4 or 5 of his trial. But now see how God answers. Verses 6. Verses 6, could I have a volunteer reading me verse 6? Verse 6. Any volunteer? Josh, you want to read verse 6? Uh, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out. His temple and my cry for help before him came into his ears. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, if you look at this verse, this verse has a lot of doublets. Okay, saying the same thing synonymously. Notice what uh, David describes his action. Two verbs, right? I called out to the Lord upon the Lord. That's one. 
And number two, it cried out to God for help. Okay? Called and cried. Same action, synonymous action, but describing it, what? Flowery terms. To show how desperate he is crying out to God. Now you notice the response of God is also responded in the Hebrew poetry. Lines are important. There's also two synonymous lines describing God's response. Synonymous, okay? He says, He heard my voice out of his temple, okay? Out of his temple, okay? By the way, I think there's a sense he's looking even way future, okay? He's looking way future. Was the temple literally built yet at this time? Not yet, because who builds it? It is his son, Solomon, okay? And he also says, And I cry out for him before him came into his ears. Okay, so this is where I think David was editing this to be a song, right? What's a little bit different the phrases than in 2 Samuel 22, okay? Where it's now going to be the regular temple worship in, uh, of God, at, uh, or the place of God, the temple of God. Here you see that God hears, and it came into his ears, okay? Then it goes to the part that, uh, what Mr. Byrne mentioned, like this, how this psalm is unique, because while other psalms does give a verse or two, of a theophany, that is God's special miraculous appearance, this one goes on pretty long. I mean, it goes from verses 7 to 15. From verses 7 to what? 15. How many verses is that? 7 to 15 is what? Like 8, 9 verses? Nine verses, yeah. 9 verses, okay. And it's a very vivid response. It's a very vivid description of God's response, okay? Uh, in light of this, let's actually go around. Let's read it, this verse again one more time. Is that okay? Uh, Nancy will begin. Verses 7, uh, let's read two verses per person, okay? Uh, verses 7, yeah. We're going to go clockwise again. Uh, just read uh, these, just two verses per person, uh, up to verse 15, okay? Then the earth shook and trembled, the foundations of his house also quaked and were shaken, because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and the iron fell from his mouth. Holes were kindled by it. Josh. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet. He rode up upon a cherub and flew, and he sped upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, his camping around him. Darkness of waters, thick clouds, and thick sky. In the brightness before him, he passed his thick clouds, hailstones, and clothes of fire. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of your water. Okay, yeah, thank you for reading that. Notice the description, okay? It's pretty poetic, yes? Uh, but my question to you guys is this. Is this merely symbolic? Or could it be literal? What do you guys think? It could be... And my answer tonight is both. Okay? Now, I think in reading this, I think it is poetic. It is symbolic in a sense like yeah, this is the appearance of God. But has God ever appeared in this way in the description in history? Yeah. David might not literally have a diaphany experience. But I think what he's doing is he's looking back to the God who made his greatest deliverance at that point of his life in history was with Egypt, okay? Was with Egypt. Yeah, with Moses, with the Exodus account, okay? Look with me in verses 12. Do you guys see the phrase, hail 
and hailstone and coals of fire. You guys see that? It appears in verses 12 and then also in verses what? 13. Two verses back to back. This is actually what? The seventh plague that, uh, that happened. Remember the ten plagues that came upon Egypt? This was the seventh one. Put your pinky or thumb in Psalm 18 and turn with me to Exodus 9, verses 23 to 24. Exodus chapter 9, verses 23 to 24. And then, Mr. Burton, would you be able to read those two verses? Sure. Okay. And Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky. And the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hill, very severe, such as had not been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Yeah, thank you so much. Notice the emphasis, right? Double emphasis, back to back of hail and what? Fire. So when you go back to Psalm 18, the same thing, it says that phrase, hailstone and coals of fire, appears what? Twice in two verses, 12 to 13. I think he's, what he's doing here is he's actually intentionally thinking about the Old Testament. He's thinking this is the God who knows how to what? Deliver. When you think about Israel's or God's people, most toughest deliverance that the God has fulfilled up to that point in David's life in history, which is a thousand years. BC, which is 3,000 years ago, he's looking back. He says, God delivers me, but he's looking way beyond and says, you know, God's a God to deliver even way back then, okay? If you guys also look with me as well in verses 15, in Psalm 18, verse 15, uh, I like this. It says, I always thought this, I always think this phrase in the Bible is pretty funny. Sometimes, I'll be honest, I laugh at it. It says, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, right? He's saying, God is angry and he's what? Blowing your nose, Okay. Now, I know sometimes people could be pretty, like, when people get at, angry, you ever see people, like, get so nasty, they what? What do they do? And then they spit, right? But could you imagine someone, like, and then get it from their nose, right? I mean, that's like, like, wow, okay? But here is God's full anger being shown, okay? At the blast of the breath of his nostril actually echoes the song of Moses in Exodus 15.8, okay? Put your pick your thumb here. Turn with me, Exodus 15.8. Exodus 15, 8, okay? You might as well have one finger in Exodus uh, after that too, okay? Exodus 15, 8, when we get there, Phil, uh, would you be able to read Exodus 15, 8, Phil? 15, 8? Yeah, uh-huh. Chapter 15, verse 8. Uh, at the blast of your nostril, mm-hmm. Yeah, good. The water piled up. Mm-hmm. The blood stood up. In the heat and the deep congeal Good. in the heart of the sea. Good, okay. So notice in this verse, what is going on here? What is this describing? How God rescues who? The Israelites. Yeah, by making the river or the sea, what, what happened to the water? Being held back. Right. Okay. Like so he just took a sneeze. Yeah. And we're just, that's how powerful he is, right? He didn't have much effort. He could just sneeze and boom, all the waters are parted. 
just like that, okay? So using that same language, and the third one where you see echoes of the Exodus narrative is actually, if you guys turn with me, uh, to Exodus 19, verses 16 to 20, okay? Just remember some of the description here as we go back, okay? Exodus 19, verses 16 to 20, I'll read this, okay? So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there was thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountains and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountains quaked violently. When the sound of trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God Answer him with what? Thunder, okay? See all these description that's described here of lightning, cloud, smoke, fire? Remember that because when you go back with me to Psalm 18, do we not see these description verses 7 to 15, right? Do we not see all throughout these verses sprinkling the idea of thick darkness, for instance, in verses 9, right? There is lightning, there is loudness. There's all of these, right? Lightning flashes in verses 14 in abundance, okay? So all this is to say is this. David is looking back and he's saying, the Lord, the God of Exodus is rescuing him, okay? The God of Exodus is rescuing him. Then a less less vivid description of deliverance is in verses 16 to 19. Basically there, and by the way, even then he's referring back to Moses' account. Because in verses 16, it says, if you guys could turn back with me to Psalm 18, Verses 16. Psalm 18, verses 16. Uh, Nancy, would you be able to read that? Psalm 18, verse 16. Or, or Abby, could you want to read Psalm 18, verse 16? Okay. You can read from that one. So, so the words are a little bigger. Sent, good. Sent from above. Above, good. Above took me. He drew me out of many waters. Okay, we'll stop there real quick, okay? So notice here, the word drew, by the way, is saving from the water. This verb is unique. It only appears in one other places, and that's with Exodus, okay? Exodus uh, 2, I want to say. Oh, my. I know. Uh, Exodus uh, 2, uh, 10. This is when baby Moses was rescued from the water, okay? So what he's trying to say is this. I'm having a Moses kind of experience of God delivering me in this way, okay? I don't think literally he was saved from the water necessarily or that he actually experienced a theophany where God appears in that that way necessarily. We don't know for sure. But definitely what he's saying is that he's having a Moses kind of experience. And he remembers that the same God of the Old Testament who delivers is the same God who's going to be delivering and rescuing him even now, okay? So I think what was the point of this is this, as application, do you read the Bible's account of God saving others, such as in Exodus, and realize that's the same God we trust in? Do you guys realize that? That's the same God, okay? Uh, Let that move you to trust in Him, okay? Let that move you. By the way, David looked back in history up to his time period and think, what is the greatest deliverance God has delivered? And he's looking back and saying, you know, I'm going to trust in God. Even if right now I'm going through trials, I'm going to trust in God because He's a God that if He could save in this big way, how much more so could He save in smaller ways of what I'm going through, okay? And by the way, we should do the same. Looking back in past history, what is the biggest deliverance? There's even one bigger than Exodus that God delivered His people in history. Looking back, there's even a bigger rescue Uh, than Exodus on the cross. 
right? God deliver us from what? Sin and Satan and from Sheol or hell itself, okay? So we need to also focus on the same way, on the greatest deliverance and therefore say, you know what? My biggest problem in life has been solved. How could I be made right with God? How could I be free from the slavery to uh, Satan and to sin? And we, if you realize that, all our problems is put into perspective. Now, let me say this. That doesn't mean all your problems get resolved right away. Some of our problems we deal for the rest of our life. For health, for family dynamic, whatever else, right? But at the same time, we need to realize that our biggest problem has been solved. And that puts in perspective that God is a God to deliver, okay? So let's go to the next point. You are to be also loyal to God. This is in verses what? In the outline? Verses, second point, you're to be loyal to God. This is found in verses what? 20 to 29. 20 to 29, okay? Thank you so much. 20 to 29. Now, when you read verse 20 to 29, remember, we kind of saw this in Psalm 17 too. 17 also in Psalm 15, where you look at it, it's like, whoa. Um, he is, David saying he's sinless? Or is he saying something else? Look with me, for instance, verse 20. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. Or according to cleanses of my hands, he has recompensed me. Then look at verse 21. Did you see, see what he says? I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not <coughs> wickedly depart from my God. Now let me ask you guys a question. Has David sinned in his life? Yes. yes. How do we know? What part of the Bible mentioned what are some of his sins? Many verses. Many verses such as what? Some of those the things. The sinful senses. Yeah, the sinful senses. You guys remember? He... I mean, that episode is pretty interesting when he does a census. Now, there's no Bible verse that says census is wrong. But I think there's something, maybe yeah. his pride. Uh, even Joab, one of the generals, one of the, his leaders, a very sinful guy, even told Joab, like, I mean, even told David, like, hey, I don't think you really want to do this, right? right. And then, I think about it, a guy that's often wrong, that will do many shady <laughs> things for on behalf of him, even says, hey, I don't think this is a good idea. I think it's because of his heart, his right. pride, okay? Anything else? Bathsheba, okay? Now he's done anything that's godly. Let me say this also as well, right? He stood up to Goliath when no one else would, okay? But nevertheless, we see, what do we see here, okay? What do we see here is this. The reality, I think what he's trying to say here, is not, he's not saying he's without sin. Because later he'll write other Psalms that also tells us what? How to handle, he is sinful and he needs to go to God. Such as Psalms 32, Psalms 51, Okay? I think what this is trying to say here is not he's not boasting his self-righteousness, but he's confessing that he's still loyal towards who? God. He's still faithful. He's not perfect, but he does have a loyalty towards God. Okay? And so, the thing is he repented yeah, of those sins. Yeah, yeah. I was saying, God, forgive me. Yeah, wash your name. Yeah, exactly, okay? I think this kind of challenges. This is where you cannot fully domesticate and new to the Bible, okay? Sometimes we could be realized, yeah, we say we're sinner, sinner, sinner all the time. It's true. But sometimes we also need to be reminded that when you go to God and say, you know what? Christ, wash me white as snow. We are generally forgiven for our sins. We need to realize that sometimes. So we need a reminder of this kind of psalm. Now there's other psalms that also says, right? There's other reality that passage that teaches we're sinful. But at the same time, there's sometimes we need to realize that our identity is not based upon our sinfulness. Does that make sense? Let me be clear. Our identity is based upon Christ. By the way, in the New Testament, after we're saved, are there any verses that say we're sinners? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually no verse. The Bible says we're, uh, we have sinful nature. No, no, it's okay. The, the, what you're trying to say is we have sinful nature. Right. We have sinful nature. Romans 7, right? We still have sinful, you know, I do the things I do not want to do, right? Sure. And then, of course, he has to correct people and say, hey, you have sin. 
There's many Bible verses that says that. But he doesn't call us sinner because why? Our identity is based upon in Christ, okay? So does that make sense? Now we are sinners. In a sense, we do still sin. But the scripture doesn't say that because now our main status is based upon who? Christ, okay? So this is where we have to be very careful in nuanced theology. We're, we're still sinful, sinners in the sense we still commit sin. Does that make sense? We will still uh, break uh, sin and stuff like that. But our identity is based upon Christ, okay? So you're to be loyal towards God, okay? We need to know it is not self-righteousness, boast here. But really, one of the reasons why we know he's not saying he's self-righteous is because look at verse 28 to 29. He's actually saying he's dependent upon God. By the way, a self-righteous person, are they prideful? Have you guys ever met anyone during evangelism and say, Hey, are you a good person? They say, I've never sinned before. And you're like, wait, you've never done anything? Have you ever lied, cheated, or steal? And they're like, no. And they're not like saying in a Christian sense that we've been redeemed. They're like, no, I've never done anything bad. They're filled with a lot of what? Pride. Pride. Look at verse 28 to 29. David is not prideful. How do we know this? It's because he depends not on himself, but upon God. He says, For you light my lamp. The Lord my God illuminates my darkness. For by you I came upon a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. Okay? Going back on about the leaping over wall, right? That Jin made the observation. That's a good one, okay? But I like how verses 28 before, he says, Who is his light for his lamp? Is it himself? No, it's God. You know what I think is so beautiful? Is this. If you look at 2 Samuel, we don't have to turn there for the sake of time. 2 Samuel 21, verse 17, his soldiers... The men under him says, Hey, we need to protect you because you're the lamp of Israel. But did it get to his head? No. What a compliment to say you're the lamp of Israel. It didn't get to his head. He realized, if I'm the lamp of Israel, well, guess what? My light is who? And my lamp is God himself. Does that make sense? So he's not bragging self-righteousness. He realized he's dependent upon God for his what? Covenantal, faithful loyalty. Okay? By the way, the more as you grow as a Christian, the more I feel is this. If I change in any way, I realize more and more that God gets the credit. Because I look at how hard it was to change, how hard it was to fight sin, that I really know it is God's sovereign grace, okay? I really believe in God's sovereign grace. But I also believe when it's God's sovereign grace, yes, we still have a will, but it's God's working behind my will to work there, okay? So there is that grace. Also, we know it's not self-righteous boast because David acknowledged that God goes against the arrogant. If you look at verses 27, the second half says, But haughty eyes you what? Abase. Okay? He realized, hey, those that are proud, God will oppose and frustrate their plan. But here he's saying, you know what? God is rescuing me. And if he's haughty, right? If he's prideful, self-righteous boast, God will go against that. Okay? So we know it's not about self-righteousness. And knowing we must be humble to trust in God, we also realize that that means we're, what? Lovingly faithful towards God. The practical fruit of that is obedience towards God. Does that make sense? We have to obey God. By the way, we want to be a church that preach grace. Sometimes people get confused. There's been people in the past in our church who have said like, oh, it moved on. You went to another master seminary guy and said, Jimmy is a legalist. So, okay. Um, if, I, if we tell people to be holy, to, to love others, to say no to immorality, to run away from temptation. Is that legalism? Let me ask you guys this question. Is that legalism? No. It, holiness is not legalism. You know what is legalism? It is a false holiness that the motivation is what? It's not about driven by loving God because God loves you. Does that make sense? The difference between 
uh, true holiness and legalism is your motivation. Does that make sense? Your motivation is because God loves you. You know He's done all these things for you already. Then you love Him back. And that is why you want to be radically what? Loving? Radically self-serving? Uh, no, no uh, not self-serving. Radically sacrificially serving? Okay? And also what? And radically willing to serve God. Going the extra mile. Okay? You cannot say radical obedience is being a Pharisee. Otherwise, you'll say, Jesus, you're a Pharisee. Because he says what? If someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. If somebody tells you walk one mile, walk one more mile. Is that legalism? No. That is radical obedience driven by the love of God. Okay? So his application, pray for God to change you, to be more like Him. Verses 20 to 23. When I read 20 to 23, I realize I am not perfect. I have not lived this out. I cannot say I'm one with this. But pray to God that you'll be more like this description of the passing of time. Trust in God as your lamp. Your light guiding you. Okay? Trust in God. And trust in God also to strive to pursue practical holiness and purity. Okay? Let's go to the third point. You are to believe God's kingdom will be victorious. This is going to be in verses 30 to 50, okay? This is the biggest chunk. We're not going to look at every single verse here, but I'm just going to break this down. Verses 30 to 50, I think it's beginning to look at the fact that you way into the future and say, you must believe God's kingdom will be victorious. I think the first part is past tense in verses 30 to 36. God, what David says is, tells of what God has already accomplished, okay? There were already moments in David's life when David looked back in his own life where God has been delivering him even before he wrote this psalm. Okay? Then if you look at verse 34, I like verses 34. Can someone read me verse 34? Can you volunteer read verse 34? He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend above of bronze. Yeah. So uh, I like how it says here, God trains his hand for war. Do you remember later on, of course, he used weapons of bronze? But remember his first battle? What was David's first battle that we see recorded in Scripture? David and Goliath. Do you remember what he says? God, and you know, everyone was thinking he won't be able to. Even Goliath was making fun of him. But when you asked his resume, what did he say his resume was? You guys remember? He killed a lion. Yeah. Bears. Okay. God's always a God that works training through the small things, right? For those that desire to be ministry, want to do God great things, want to be missionary, you know what's the first thing you need to do? You need to go to 4047 North Durfee Avenue, Almani, and kill some bears, right? To serve God in the faithful things in small ways. And then, you know, faithful in little, faithful in much, okay? So same thing here. He trains my hand for battle. And you can think back, wow, God was delivering him already, training him. At first with, you know, with smaller creatures and eventually to something like Goliath and eventually even greater enemies, okay? What God will accomplish through David is then described in verse 37 to 42, okay? 37 to 42. Then David's kingdom is further described. I'm going to dwell on the last two points of this, uh, two subpoints of this section. Is really the last two points I really want to dwell upon is when you look at the verse 43 to 45, you see David's kingdom is now described as being extended even to Gentiles. 43 to 45 says this You have delivered me From the contentions of my pe- of the people You have placed me as a head of the nations A people whom I have not 
No, serve me. Remember last week when we looked at this, we mentioned about, at David's lowest point, remember he was almost caught with the Philistines. He was serving as mercenaries to the Philistines. Then mm-hmm. the Philistines was going to fight against Israel. And now he's caught between a rough place. Israel rejects him. Philistines is going to fight against him and he can't fight against his own people. Then later on, they were able to get out of it, right? They didn't have to serve the Philistines. And the soldiers were joyful. They went back to their hometown. The soldiers were happy like, all right, I haven't seen my wife and kids for a while. But once they got back, what happened? The Malachites took away, kidnapped all his family members. And then his own soldiers that was loyal to him, what did they say? Man, we want to kill you, right? Do you remember that? At the worst, lowest point that he had. And now there's a prophecy that's predicted here that not only will he have Israel submitting under his kingship, but eventually his reign, his dynasty, would include what? The nations. It says in 44, Foreigners submit to me. Foreigners fade away and come trembling out of their fortress. Foreigners? What was that? Oh, wow. Ben? Did you say something, Ben? He said foreigners. Was that I know. Okay, maybe that was echo. Yeah, it could be. It oh, that sounds scary. Someone's just screaming at me, foreigners. <laughs> so, yes, okay. Yes. So, uh, final uh, phrase here, verse 46 to 50 here, okay? Um, is final praise, okay? Um, the Lord delivers, lives, and bless my, be, blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. Verse 47. The God who executes vengeance for me and subdues people under me, He delivers me from my enemies. Surely you lift me above those who rise up against me. You reach me from the violent man. Verse 49. Therefore I will give thanks to you among the nations, O God, and I will sing praises to your name. And I love verse 50. Pay attention to verse 50. He gives great deliverance to His King and show loving kindness to His what? Anointed. Anointed. What's the Hebrew word for anointed? The Messiah. Yeah. Did you say Hamashiach? No. Oh, what did you say? I just said some Okay, that you said Hamashiach. I was like, well, how did you know Hebrew? Okay. Yeah, to his Hamashiach, which is what? The Messiah. Okay. To David and his descendants. Keyword descendants. Does all your versions say descendants or some of your versions say seed? Singular. That's a Hebrew word for, kind of like the uh, English word sheep. Is it plural or singular? It's both, right? Same thing, the word zera is either or. Plural or singular. But I actually think this seed here is singular. Because, why? It says anointed earlier, the Messiah. So I think this is where it gets to the point where it's no longer just David is talking about himself. He's saying there'll be a universal kingdom where there'll even be Gentiles in the kingdom of David, the dynasty of David. But I think he looks way beyond and says, this reign is not about myself. It's ultimately about the Messiah. That there will be Gentiles. That there will be foreigners also in there. And that this reign of this descendant, singular is my interpretation, seed, Sarah, singular, is what? Forever. And the only one, that kingdom will be forever with his descendant that will be righteous and be delivered, will be Jesus himself. Go ahead. Uh, When it says anointed, does it also refer to Yahweh? Like, Yahweh is anointed? Yeah, I think a lot of times is uh, Yahweh anoints people, other people anoint people, but I also think the uh, anointed one is also going to be God. 
because of the fact that he rules forever and everyone owes homage to him and he ruled the whole world. You don't want that to be any other ordinary person. It has to be God also as well. Then other verses that make clear that the Messiah must be God. Okay? Uh, with other titles. Suffering, servant, that kind of thing. Okay? So as application, do you live with the reality that one day God will reign through Christ as King? Sometimes we need to remember that. Okay? Could I be honest? When I see injustice in the news, I get extremely what? Sure. Mad. Okay? I don't want to get so political, but there's some things in Asia, right? This morning I'm reading up, and I'm just fuming like mad. Like it just consumes me, right? It just consumes me. Then I go see my dad like yesterday, and my dad says, you know what? There's someone at church that has this political view. I can't believe it. It's like, wow, are you serious? Like I get, I'm talking about not like like small political preference. I'm talking about where they're for the oppression of people. They're for the idea and say, oh, you know what? Uh, you know, it's okay to take their rights. At least they have at least something. It's like, wow, that person really said that? that? Really? And they're here in our country and think this is okay to say that, things like that? But you're wearing red. <laughs> red? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you get the idea. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I am... Uh, red, white, and blue American. Yeah, I'm red, white, and blue American, okay? Uh, 16 ounces a pound uh, of that, okay? Not that our country is perfect, but in a sense that I, I do, if I could be honest, I do love this country of thinking about how much freedom that God has given, okay? In other parts of the world. That we are the 1%. I truly believe that with every ounce of my fiber. But if I could just say this, even with that, I need to realize if I only look at now, I'll become what? I could eventually get really... Bad, right? Anger. Then I won't be able to minister. Then I see that person, and I'm only thinking of politics. Man, I can't believe this guy. Man, like, you know, he, you know, I won't say anymore, okay? But what that is, we need to, what, as application, we need to look at reality that one day God will reign through Christ. And does eternity make you live with hope today? And hope in the right thing also as well, okay? Not in the red, red, and blue, although I love that, Right? But not that my hope is in that, but my hope is ultimately in Christ first, okay? Hope in Christ first, okay? So in closing, we need to look towards Christ, even when we go through trials. We need to look towards the kingdom of God that's to come. We need to realize we need to still be faithful and also believe that God is a God who delivers.